ministry, so just ignore the bad timing on that. Um, but uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Ian. I'm a student pastor here. Uh, I'm also the announcement guy. Some of you may know me. Um, it's just just that. So uh, whatever works for you. Um, but uh, let this be a lesson. You know, follow your dreams. You may start as an announcement guy, but they may end up, you know, letting you uh, talk for longer than just the announcement someday. So follow follow your dreams, kids. But um, uh, no, my actual dream job is getting to be a student pastor. Getting to do that. I'm getting to be with students. Um, it's just uh, such a joy, and just you learn so much from them, uh, even though it sounds like you you wouldn't learn many things from teenagers. Uh, they actually have a lot more wisdom uh, than I think we, we give them credit for. So I really get to love, love what I get to do. Um, and so we are going to be looking at this passage uh, in Scripture of Matthew 4, uh, where Jesus is, is tempted in the wilderness. And we're really going to be asking ourselves this question of how does Jesus handle temptation? How does Jesus handle uh, temptation? Um, and so one of the things that we do on Wednesday nights with students uh, is that I get them to read uh, whatever passage, uh, scripture that we're studying before we talk about it. Um, and so we're going to do the same thing here today, just to keep it simple for me. So um, we, it's going to be in the book of Matthew, Matthew's New Testament, first book of the New Testament, uh, about three quarters of the way through uh, your Bible. And it's Matthew 4, uh, verses 1 through 11. You can read along on your own in your Bible. It'll be on the screen, uh, and I'm going to read it to everyone too. So I'm a big eliminating excuses person, so you don't have any excuse uh, for, for not paying attention. Uh, really, that's more for the students, but we're just going to do it for, for y'all too. So, let me read to you. Matthew 4 says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So to set the scene, uh, Jesus has been out in the wilderness uh, fasting 40 days at this point. So 40 days uh, from today would have been August 3rd. 30th. Uh, so just imagine that whatever you ate for lunch that day uh, was the last meal that you ate until whatever you eat for lunch today. Uh, you obviously remember what you had for lunch on August 30th, so I really want you to think about that. Um, but most of us probably wouldn't be in a good headspace at that point, right? Like I'm maybe like one or two meals. Like if I miss one or two, like I'm not in a good spot at that point, right? And y'all are probably the same. And so we can almost imagine that even though Jesus ha has probably spent some intimate time with his father over these 40 days, uh, he has an eight. He, he's obviously hungry, right? And 40 would have been a light bulb number uh, for the Jewish people. It would have instantly uh, made them think of the 40 days that Moses spent on the mountain uh, with God in Exodus 24, uh, the 40 days that Elijah fasted uh, as he was uh, escaping from Queen Jezebel in 1 Kings 19, and the 40 years uh, that the people of Israel waited and wandered in the desert, in the wilderness, which is where Jesus was himself right now, um, as they waited to enter the promised land. And so at, at this time, Jesus is, surely he's famished, he, he's tired, he's hungry, he's thirsty. 
and that is when the tempter kind of comes knocking, right? And, and don't we feel that happens in our own lives too, right? We're, we're at our wits end, and that's when that little kick of temptation comes, right? We're tired, we're late at night, and that thought that we shouldn't think enters our head. Our brain activity is strained, we're stressed, and that's when we're tempted to make that bad decision. And, and this is the point that Jesus is at in the desert, and it's important for us to note that before we dive into exactly what happens, that Jesus gets tired. Multiple points in his ministry, he has to step away to, to rest, to, to sleep even, we're told. Right? We can imagine that the, the tempter picked the most vulnerable time that he could to try to tempt Jesus. Right? And, and because we can imagine that that's when we would be most vulnerable too, if we were in that same state that Jesus was. So, so the devil starts picking at Jesus in this vulnerable state. He, he first wants Jesus to turn the stone into bread. And I mean, if we're honest, if I hadn't eaten in 40 days, like I would probably just take the stone at that point, right? Like hope, maybe maybe it's like cream filled, right? Maybe there's something inside of it. Uh, there's this new cereal out. We had a cereal bar on Wednesday night for the students. This new cereal crave uh, that is all the rage. It's basically just wheat packed with chocolate inside of it. And they think it's the greatest thing in the world uh, and, and healthy too, probably. Not healthy is good though. Um, but Jesus says no, and he refused the devil. He, he points him to scripture from Deuteronomy, all right? And then the devil tries again. This time he tells Jesus to, to jump off the top of the temple. And the devil even quotes a bit of scripture to, to try to create kind of a justification for Jesus' act, right? And this isn't like a small jump we're talking about here. Like the temple would have been very, very high, right? One of the fun parts of my job is that once or twice a semester, uh, I get to climb up on top of the roof uh, because inevitably a football, a soccer ball, a volleyball, and in one very specific situation, a cornhole bag, uh, ends up on top of the roof. Um, and I have to climb up on a ladder, get on top of the roof, and take it and throw it off. And so I actually had to do that this week, uh, which was fun and really worked out for this message. Uh, I didn't plan it, but I had to go up there and just kind of stood there for a second. I'm not afraid of heights uh, because my first job when I was 16 involved uh, pressure washing inside of a building, which was in a 50 to 75 uh, foot lift where I had to sit on the railing because the pressure washer took up the entire floor space. Also didn't have a harness on, so shout out to OSHA for that. Uh, but, um, so I'm up there and I'm looking down and you're just kind of thinking like, like, and just kind of putting yourself in Jesus' shoes, like, oh my gosh, like, he, it takes a lot of trust, like, to just be like, the devil just say, hey, just, just jump, like, he'll catch you, right? Like, no worries, right? And so, again, though, Jesus turns him back uh, with Scripture. The, the devil has, has quoted Scripture, but it's a complete misinterpretation. He, he's left off literally the last part of the verse that kind of qualifies why a helicopter full of angels won't come down and save Jesus if he jumps off the top of the temple. He, he doesn't think that part's important to tell Jesus, so he leaves that off. And so Jesus turns the devil back with another piece of Scripture from Deuteronomy. And then finally, the devil tells him, that he could give him all the kingdoms of the world if he would just bow down and worship the devil. And the idea being that Jesus could get all that was actually promised to him without having to wait and without having to go through the cross. And so Jesus again turns him back, this time with, with more power and with a command to get away and again quote scripture from Deuteronomy to, get, to disprove him. And so this finally causes the devil to give up because even at this time of of great vulnerability jesus doesn't sin 
Even when he was most vulnerable, he doesn't sin. And so there, there's a lot to take in here, but let's start, let's look at exactly what Jesus is being tempted in. You, you may not ever be tempted uh, by a voice in your ear to turn the stone that you are standing in front of into bread. Um, and if you do, I would love to hear about that and write about it for a book someday. But that's probably not how you're going to be tempted, and probably not in the other two ways that Jesus was specifically tempted either. But, but the heart behind them isn't unique to Jesus' temptation. Uh, the, the way I see it, Jesus is, is tempted to sin in three areas. And it's three of the areas where we're most tempted to sin in as well. Jesus, he, he's tempted by provision, pride, and patience. And, and by provision, we look at the first temptation. Jesus is tempted uh, by the lack of apparent provision in his situation. He, he's gone without bread. He's gone without eating for 40 days. And the devil comes right in and says, hey, here's a way to provide. Um, and so it's, it's a sin, though. It's a sin masked by the necessity of provision, right? The fact that we need to provide can sometimes lead us to try to provide in ways that we're not intended to. Uh, by pride, we, we look at the second temptation. Jesus is tempted to jump and show just how important he really is, that it, God would surely catch him. And, and you got to think about this, too. We don't, we don't, maybe don't, this doesn't hit your head right in the beginning, but if Jesus is jumping from the top of the temple, there's people at the bottom who if Jesus would have jumped, they would have seen this guy like going full like Middle Eastern Superman trying to jump off the top of this temple. And if the angels would have caught him, that would have been this incredible thing that immediately attracted him to people, but it would have attracted to him for the wrong way. It would have been attracted to him because of his own pride that he chose to jump. And so by patience, we, we look at the third temptation. Jesus was tempted to, to gain immediately what was promised to him later, right? You could almost hear the thoughts in Jesus' head that have, have surely come in our head as well, right? Why, why not just take it now? Why wait when you could gain it immediately through a shortcut? And, and aren't these three areas, provision, pride, and patience, they're, they're where we are tempted to sin almost daily. And one commentator I read puts it this way, that Jesus' temptations are unique but universal. Even uh, all three of these ways that Jesus is tempted, they're, they're linked together. Right? You can almost see them building off each other. We, we may be in that situation where, where there's a lack of provision in our life. And so we trust ourselves over our Creator, over our God, pridefully take things into our own hands when patience would have paid off in the long run. And so we can also relate to Jesus' temptations another way. Jesus is tempted with mistaken goods. Uh, bread would have been a good thing, uh, but the devil tempts Jesus to acquire it in a dishonorable way. God did love Jesus and would show that love of Jesus throughout his life, but it would have shown a lack of trust in God for Jesus to force God to, to prove himself by catching him off the building. You think if you're a parent, like you, you obviously you want your kid to know that you love them, uh, but you don't want to have to prove that you love them by them running in front of a moving car and you having to jump out and grab them before it hits them, right? That would show that you love them, but not in the way that is intended. And the kingdoms of the world, they, they were a good gift, like such a good gift that, that Jesus will receive power over all of them. But the devil attempted Jesus to, to acquire them in a different way than God had designed them to. And so many times our temptations have these same issues. We're, we're often tempted with mistaken goods. It's good for us to enjoy the creation, but we can't enjoy it without the Creator. And so it may be easy to think that, that we can't relate to Jesus' temptation in any personal way, but I think it's clear that, that the heart of where Jesus is tempted uh, is the heart of where we are tempted. 
Uh, I think one of the reasons that the birth of Jesus is, is such a big deal is because it's a celebration that Jesus has come in a body like us. He, he has a human mind with, with human needs and has human interactions. He's, he's all of that while being fully God and fully man in this way that we can't fully understand at all. And if anybody does tell you they have the perfect analogy to describe that or the Trinity, don't trust that person because it, it, there is no way to fully describe it. We, we don't know how it works, but we just know that this, this guy is fully God and fully man. And so without taking anything away from Jesus' uh, deity or godness, if that's even a word, uh, this is a way to us to understand how to look at Jesus' humanity. It's a depiction that, yes, just like we can be tempted to sin, Jesus could be too. Uh, he's tempted to sin in a vulnerable time, just like we are tempted too. And so Jesus' response to temptation is a big deal um, because Jesus doesn't do anything that isn't available to us, right? Like, I, I think that, that's big for us to get that in this story, Jesus doesn't do anything that isn't available to us, right? Like, like if I'm Jesus, and that's a very dangerous statement to make out of context, and so please don't take that out of context at all. But if, if you can kind of picture for a moment that, that feeling of, of what Jesus is like, and, and this, this devil, the devil comes up to me with these temptations, right? Like, you're you're like, hey man, like, I'm, I'm Jesus actually. I don't know if you've heard. Um, I can't sin. Uh, so all this temptation, it's not gonna work. Like, you should probably just try another guy. Um, I, if, have you heard about me? Like, I, I can't, he doesn't, he doesn't tell the devil like, hey, I'm the bread of life, right? He, does, he waits till John 6 to do that. He doesn't break that to him. Like, hey, I don't need this stone to turn into bread because I actually am the bread of life that you need. Uh, he doesn't tell him that, hey, God loves me special. Like I did the chapter before Jesus is baptized and, and there's this voice from heaven that's God that says that Jesus is uh, my beloved son. He doesn't tell him that. Uh, he, he doesn't tell him that, hey, actually God has this eternal plan to restore the world and it involves me dying. Um, and so I'm kind of important in all of this. So like, I can't sin. Like he doesn't tell him any of those things. He doesn't do a miracle. He doesn't do a miracle to get out of the situation. He doesn't call lightning down from heaven to, to zap the devil away from him. He doesn't do anything that we would say is miraculous or that we couldn't do. The way Jesus responds is in full touch with his humanity. It's human how Jesus responds. And so it sets an example for how we can respond like Jesus to temptation in our lives. There's, there's two distinct things that Jesus does. Uh, one is explicit, one is implicit. Uh, and, and the first is that Jesus responds with Scripture. All that the devil is trying to tempt Jesus with is misguided lies. Uh, or at best, they're misguided half-truths. And so what do we do to, to combat lies? We tell the truth. And so Jesus responds with the word of truth, which is our scripture. He, he goes to Deuteronomy and, and counteracts the devil's lies with the truth of God's word. What we think to be true is important in our moments of temptation. Do we think that the temptation is true or do we check that with what God's word says is true? This is the, the value of knowing the word. Jesus has, uh, like the psalmist tells us in Psalm 119.11, he stored God's word in his heart, right? Again, Jesus could have just pointed to himself because John describes him as the word of God in John chapter one, but he doesn't. He, he submits himself to God's word and gives us a proper direction and a good example and how we can respond to the lies that the devil tries to deceive us with. 
right? So it's important for us then to treat Scripture in this way. Uh, when I was growing up, my family and my best friend's family, uh, we went to the College World Series, which is in Omaha, Nebraska. It's like the college baseball national championship. Uh, and we'd obviously never been to Nebraska before uh, because it's Nebraska. I'm sorry if you've been to Nebraska or from Nebraska, but like you're not really vacationing in, in Lincoln. You know what I'm saying? So uh, we had never been to Nebraska before. Um, and so we're on Google Maps. We're trying to figure out where we're going. And my best friend's dad has taken uh, the initiative uh, to be the map guy. You know, these people in the car when you're on road trips, they're the one who wants the control of where the map is. And so uh, he has taken this control um, and we just keep missing turns like it's been like after the fourth or fifth one I finally kind of peer over his shoulder um, and look and he has never hit the go on the map he, he you know the little blue dot that, that's like you on the map right and, he, and so he's never hit go he's just following the blue dot that was us um, and then had the directions planned out where it was supposed to go but we would go past and it'd be like turn right there turn right there turn right there and just go straight past it and so after we found that out, we, we eventually did make it there, but we were just like a half second late every time. Um, and I'm not going to say the second service because my mom is coming, but if you knew my mom's driving, it was impressive actually that we were missing all these turns. Like it, there was no reason for us to miss these turns with, with how she drives. But um, so we, we finally get there. Um, but I think that we kind of use scripture in the same way. Uh, we wait almost until it's too late or at the last possible second to turn to it. Uh, we have it around us. We, we know it's important, but we also wait to look until after the fact. We, we just turn to it when we need it, uh, whether it's for an encouragement or a direction or whatever it may be, all good things, but we don't use it as a preparation. Uh, scripture is best stored up in us and remembered because it's only then that we can turn to it in a time of need. I, and I would encourage you to ask yourselves today, what do I want to remember in times of trial and temptation? Right? Like, what is it about God that you want to remember in a time of panic or, or disarray? Uh, and, and store those truths, store that piece of scripture, whatever it is, in your heart. Uh, the second thing, and this is more kind of implicit in the story, is that Jesus responds with worship. Uh, Jesus' response to the devil's final temptation, where he's tempted to bow down and worship the devil, uh, is a quotation from Scripture in Deuteronomy, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And, and while this is the only time that Jesus mentions worship, uh, it's behind the scenes of the entire interaction. Uh, worship goes uh, beyond a Sunday morning check-in at church, but it, it's, it's really the way that we live our lives, right? I, I would go as far to say that our worship is better seen through every other day but Sunday. Right? What we worship is better seen in all the other days. And so if we see worship as just a church thing, then I think that our temptations will begin to win out more often than not. Uh, attention is the beginning of devotion, Mary Oliver says. The devil was attempting to get Jesus' attention off of God's plan, off of God's design for his life, off of God's presence in every moment of his life. And the tempter is trying to do the same thing with us. He, he can tempt us to sin by misdirecting our attention, right? Little temptations to, to, to skip out on a weekly gathering uh, with the body of Christ, to, to temptation to listen to that podcast or radio station uh, that just makes you angry, but you still want to listen to it, uh, to, or temptation to devote time toward, toward scrolling over scripture, or, or some things that if I even said them right now, you would crumple in your seat because of how real it felt to you in your life. All of these are, are very real temptations to us, and they're all ways to distract us 
from worship. Jesus was tempted and tested in the wilderness, and the test was in what he worshiped. Right? Our, our tests come daily in what we worship as well. Just like responding with scripture, responding with our temptations to, with worship, it, it aligns ourselves with the truth. We're, we're saying that what we worship is bigger and sure and is the truth in the middle of the temptations that, that brandish themselves as half-truths at best and outright lies at worst, right? Lies uh, deceive and offer us a shallow reward in our time of need. Right, like, would the bread have tasted good? Probably. Uh, would the angels catch him? Like, I guess. I, I'm not really sure. Uh, would the kingdoms of the world feel powerful? Uh, we're wading in the deep theological waters there, and so I'm going to stop right there and just make my point, which is that our temptations offer us a shallowness, where worship and truth offer us depth. Right? Temptations can often be short-sighted and point us to uh, an answer, but not the right answer. And, but the truth of our God, it, it extends us an invitation more than it does an answer, right? It's more than a stopgap to a problem that we feel that we have. Uh, it, it gives us the opportunity for a relationship with our Creator. And relationships can have their ups and downs, but, but they offer us more in the way of depth and trust and truth than a temporary fix ever could, right? We have a God who we not only can enter into worship with, but can have a relationship with. A God who, who calls us uh, sons and daughters and friends. So Ken, Ken mentioned Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 last week. We're going to look at it again, um, but kind of taking it a little different direction. So I'll read it for us. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is the one who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. But, but what I love most about these verses is the call that it gives us to confidence, right? Jesus points us towards confidence in temptation. Uh, we have confidence because of Jesus, because he has gone before us. All right, we can be confident that Jesus is not distant from us in our times of temptation, and that we can use him as an example and a help in those times. When, when the road has been walked before, we know there's an ending, right? If you were walking down a dirt path trying to follow someone and saw no footprints, we would be rightfully concerned where we are going, right? Like it, it's the start of a murder podcast, right? Like they started walking and there was no footprints until theirs. But, but if we saw footprints, we would have confidence that someone had walked this road before too. And, and we could continue down the path as long as we saw footprints, and this is what Jesus offers us in life. He gives us confidence on the road we're walking through life because he's walked it before. The story of Jesus' temptation shows us that even though we may not, may not be tempted in the exact way as Jesus, and may not be in the desert after 40 days of fasting by the physical representation of the devil, but that we will be tempted just as he was. We'll be tempted in our pride. We'll be tempted uh, by misguided lies. We'll be tempted in a whole host of areas throughout our life. And while they may not be the exact same situations as Jesus was tempted, because we live in a different world, in a different culture than Jesus, we can draw near to the throne and receive what Jesus offers us. When tempted, we keep our heads held high because we have confidence in the king, 
The, the king who, who's conquered temptation, he sent the devil running away from us, but now doesn't stick his nose up at us, but lends his hand down to help us through temptation. We are we're receivers of this mercy that the writer of Hebrews talks about, mercy that, that comforts us in a time of temptation and pain because uh, Jesus is the good neighbor, the neighbor who bends down and bandages our wounds on the path that we're walking. He, he gives us grace in times of need because he has lived this life. He's experienced pain and sorrow more than we could ever bear. We can be confident because Jesus has gone through the extreme in this life. He, he's had to look at the devil in the face and turn it away. I mean, this is the guy who he had to utter the phrase while dripping the very human disease of sweating drops of blood. He's had to look and say, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus suffers through the extreme, tempted beyond what we can imagine or come close to bearing. And so we are confident in our Jesus because he has been through more than even we have which allows him to comfort us in our weakness. That's not negating anything you have dealt with in life, but it's a comfort that Jesus understands. He is able to empathize with us, to, to draw near when we were hurting or struggling or tempted uh, to succumb under the pressure of the temptation that we're under. He, he went through the temptations yet did not fall. He, he stood tall through it all. And so this gives us confidence in Christ, but it also points us in the way that we should go. Uh, Jesus points us towards humility and temptation. Uh, because he's been tempted and, and yet didn't sin and didn't believe the lies that we can often be convinced to believe, uh, he offers us grace and, and points us to himself as we battle through our temptations. Uh, the Gospel Project puts it this way, God calls us to resist temptation by resting in our identity in Christ, the one who overcame temptation in our place. Rest in our identity in Christ, right? The way out is not through our own strength. It's not through our own grit. It's not through our own self-will. It's not through beating ourselves up. The way out is a way of grace. It's following the footsteps that have been laid out before us. It is through submission to the fact that Jesus gives us confidence. So we must make the decision to allow him to lead, we mentioned earlier how Jesus could have just pointed to himself in a time of temptation, but he didn't. I think that alone is evidence of the humility that we must find in ourselves uh, in times of temptation. Even though Jesus was and is the answer in times of humility, he gave us the example to point outside of ourselves in times of temptation. We, we cannot fight off temptation on our own. Uh, we, we, we need community, yes, but most importantly, we have to look to our Christ our Christ who, who died for us so that we could live, our Christ who was raised from the dead and left the tomb behind, offering us a relationship with himself so that through faith in him we find true life, our Christ who perfectly fought off temptation and, and set an example for us to trust and live in when our times of temptation come. There will be times when we grow tired and it will be more of a struggle to fight. And it's in those times that, that we, we run to the grace of the king who, who's run the race before us. We, we look for his footsteps and we look for his throne. And so I, I've told this story to the students multiple times before, uh, but I'm going to tell it to everyone here too. Uh, it's from the West Wing. If you've ever watched the West Wing before, I'm a big West Wing person. But uh, it's told by one of the characters who know they're going through a difficult time. And it goes like this. It says, 
This guy's walking down the street when he falls in a hole. The walls are so steep he can't get out. A doctor passes by and the guy shouts up, hey you, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down in the hole and moves on. Then a priest comes along and the guy shouts up, father, I'm down in this hole, can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it down in the hole and moves on. Then a friend walks by, hey Joe, it's me, can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. Our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. And the friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. And I, I can't think of a better way to display the character of Jesus towards us. Jesus tempted in every way, just as we are, but did not sin. Jesus jumps into the hole with us. He, he knows the way out. We may fall and try to go our own way sometimes, but Jesus is a friend uh, a true friend. As we go through life fighting off an, an onslaught of temptations in all different shapes and sizes, draw near to Jesus. Don't, don't try to fight on your own. He, he is our confidence. He is our Savior. He is our King, sitting on the throne, offering us mercy and grace for all of our days. In, in our struggles and temptation, give Jesus room to, to jump into your life uh, and let him lead you as a friend. And so, Lord, we're, we thank you for, for bringing us here today, um, for, for giving us the, the opportunity to gather. And I, I pray, God, that we see you um, as, as somebody that is a friend, uh, a true friend that we can run to, who, who doesn't look down on us, who doesn't not want to help us, uh, but somebody who cares for us, who, who lends a hand who you, you sowed your son as an example for us in his life to show us how to lead and show, how, show us who to follow. Pray, God, that, that as we go through and are tempted, as we're tempted to sin, that we look for your footsteps, we look for your throne, and we trust in that. We trust outside of ourselves, God, and we see you as the one that we can run to in all of our times of need so grateful for you, God, for your son that's, that was sent and died on a cross for our sins and, and raised so that we could live and enter into a relationship with you, God. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.